Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you're doing this breath, then you've got a teacher that's also helping you sort of reprogram, if you will, some of the limiting belief thoughts, the negative self-beat, the loop that we get in, that we get stuck in because of life, because of our trauma, because of our past, because of society often. When we quiet the mind enough that we can insert some better beliefs, some better thoughts, some better affirmations, then we can reprogram a little bit, if you will, what's going on in our conscious mind by putting them in our subconscious while the frontal lobe is quiet. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the place where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss. In today's episode, we're going to go deeper once again on the topic of breathwork. I know many of you enjoy, love, and want to get deeper into breathwork. And so my goal in this series into is to interview uh, people from different um, you know streams of breathwork different uh, families of breathwork and sort of see what the similarities are or maybe what the nuances are so that you can um, get to know more about this ancient practice that is uh, practiced in modern times, right? So we're going to have an exciting episode for you today. If, for example, you aren't subscribed yet or you haven't hit follow, make sure you do that. Hit follow, hit subscribe so that you are in the know of future episodes that we release so that you don't miss out on anything at all. Right. Uh, and if you enjoy this episode towards the end, make sure that you give us a rating and review, because as you know, 
The more you share, the more we grow. With that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Rebecca Kordeki. She is the founder of The Breath Zone, RK Fit, and creator of Booty Slide, a full-body slide-based workout sold at Walmart and Kmart. She has enjoyed a very successful 26-year career as a highly sought-after celebrity, fitness trainer, health and wellness expert, corporate coach, writer, and motivational speaker. Over the past six years, Rebecca has also added breathwork to her list of expertise after training with Dan Brule and David Elliott. She is passionate about teaching people to use breath and movement to get out of their heads and into their hearts and through that become the boss of their happy and healthy. She's been featured on the Today Show, LA Magazine, Extra, Daily Candy, and In Vogue Magazine, Men's Health, and many others. I sense that you are going to enjoy listening to this episode, so make sure that you stay till the very end, because as you know, we keep the amazing parts that I know many of you like towards the end, so don't miss out on that. With that being said, let's bring on our special guest, Rebecca Kardecki. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Amazing, amazing. It's uh, great to meet you as well. Um, where do we begin? <laughs> at the beginning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, at the yeah, beginning yeah, yeah. is scary, but <laughs> you're the boss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've got so many themes and uh, stories and uh, uh, avenues of breathwork that I wanted to get into, especially about how you got into breathwork. But, uh, you know, before that, I'd love to know where were you born and brought up and give us a glimpse into what your childhood was like. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. Well, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, (laughs) and I uh, was... Sort of, um, you know, my childhood was a little bit rocky, if I'm honest. Um, I was in and out of foster care for um, up until I was about 12. Uh, so I lived in a bunch of different places as a kid, uh, which also, you know, even though some people might hear foster care and think that that's a sad upbringing, it actually gave me a lot of the strengths I believe that I have today. It taught me, you know, a little bit about how to fend for myself. It taught me about resilience. It taught me about, you know, knowing um, that you really do have to count on yourself and you can't always count on others. So a lot of these things are great strengths that I use now as an adult. When I was a kid, um, bouncing around a lot, I, I never really felt like I was bouncing around, I guess, again, the resilience came into play. And so, um, you know, I just, I always thought I had a happy life (laughs) until I look back on it. I'm like, that wasn't really that happy. That was a little messed up. But, um, and then when I was 12, I got adopted and uh, the man who adopted me lived in Wisconsin. And so I was raised from 12 to 16 on an 80 acre farm. So we had chickens and cows and horses and you name it, we had it. And um, I was a farm girl. I guess, for a few years. And Mm -hmm. uh, then I, at 16, wanted to go live with my mom. Uh, My parents were separated. And so I went to live with my mom in California. That is how I ended up in sunny California. And Mm -hmm. I fell in love. I found the ocean. I found warm weather. I was so happy to get out of Wisconsin and Chicago. And so thus began my, you know, early years uh, in my 20s and 
spent that time in LA. I, you know, unfortunately I, I sort of fell into uh, the wrong crowd when I got to LA is I, I didn't really have a lot of structure. My mom kind of gave me a lot of freedom, uh, which I guess could be good and bad. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and I moved out on my own when I was, uh, 16 and a half, almost 17. And so I finished high school living alone, um, and fell into a wrong crowd, even though I still graduated from high school, but I fell into the wrong crowd and got into, um, a drug addiction, which almost literally took my life. Um, for six years, I was heavily addicted to, um, a drug and, um, Finally, at 26, I decided that it was time to change my life. And I, I realized that if I didn't change it in that moment, uh, that I would die. And so I made a decision. It was one night. It was four in the morning. I remember I was walking down the street in Los Angeles, and I was barefoot, bloody. I had a bloody nose, and I was literally broke. And I, in that moment, decided this is my bottom. <laughs> this is as low as I can go. And I decided I want to live and live a really healthy, awesome life. And so that began my um, journey into the healing work that I now do. The, the transformation that I made in my life was through fitness and running. And then I became a trainer. There's a whole lot more to it. But that was really the beginning of me turning my whole life around. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Firstly, uh, I, I've always been curious and I've never had the opportunity to ask somebody, what was it like to be adopted mm. when you were 12 years old? Mm. What was that experience like? What does a person go through? I'm sure it's a very subjective experience and each child has a different experience. But for yourself, what was it, what was it like? You know, it's interesting because... I, the man who adopted me, he was in my life already. Um, he had been mm -hmm. someone my mom had married for two years while I was young. Um, and um, they stayed friends and he stayed in my life. So I, I already sort of knew him and knew his wife who became my stepmom. And so there was a little bit of familiarity. So it wasn't as if I had just completely from a cold start in a foster home been adopted, which I imagine brings a whole host of other feelings and emotions. But since I had a familiarity with him, um, it actually mm -hmm. felt really wonderful. I was really happy and excited to go live um, with this quote unquote new family. The problem was um, for me is that once I got there, I felt very, um, uh, what do I say? How do I say it? I felt like an outsider. And I did that to myself. It wasn't anything they did to me. The, everyone was very loving and kind and welcoming, like the extended family. But I personally felt like I was an outsider. I, I never felt like I belonged. So as much as I was happy in the beginning, as I lived there for over the four years, I felt myself withdrawing more and more and more and feeling like they were just doing me a favor. They were trying to just save me. And I was this wounded child. Um, and that was, again, all things that I did in my own mind. No one did that to me that didn't make me feel that way. And I think that mm -hmm. comes from, you know, a feeling of f the truth of, of all of that, like being in foster care and then being adopted is you feel abandoned and you feel wounded. And so I think that was the side effect of it. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, like you mentioned, you moved to LA, right? Mm -hmm. So 
what switched, what changed for you there? And also talk a little bit about the role that uh, your mother played in your life yeah. uh, at that point. Because you said that you had freedom, but yeah. you lacked some structure yeah. as well. So give us a glimpse into that, because yeah. I think that is a, mm. an important phase as well. Right? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, it is, it was. Uh, you know, my mom was a free spirit. She was, you know, kind of like a hippie, you know, free, amazing artist, talented, beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, I looked up to her, I idolized her, but by no fault of her own, she had some illnesses. And so, um, and back then we didn't always know what these things were called, but now I've learned over the years that that was, um, bulimia, anorexia, and some other things that she struggled with. So, she was constantly in and out of hospitals when I was a kid, which is how we ended up in foster care. The state determined that she wasn't fit to take care of us. So even when I moved to go live with her at 16, when I got there and I realized there was some other things, issues with her and behaviors and things that I recognized that, you know, which is partially why she didn't give a lot of structure because she was a very free spirit. But I realized that I did need structure and she wasn't giving it. And, um, you know, there were some struggles with um, addiction on her part, I believe, with drinking and things. And so there were times when, you know, things were out of control and I just didn't feel like it was a good environment for myself. And I just made a decision to go get an apartment. So I found a roommate in the paper and I moved out and I got two jobs and I put myself in school and I worked and, um, you know, I just, I don't know how I knew that as a 16 year old, mm -hmm. that this isn't healthy where I'm at. But I, like yeah. I said, I do believe that like intrinsically, I always say that I believe we're more a winning spirit than a losing spirit. I believe we're more resilient than we are want to throw in the towel. So I think that that was just in me and I knew that I, to thrive, I needed to leave her. And so mm -hmm. I did. And so when I moved out for the first year or two, it was good. And then, like I said, I did fall into the wrong crowd again without structure and, you know, making poor choices. But yeah, so that's what that was like. Yeah, yeah. It, it just speaks to uh, the importance also of, uh, you know, your community or surrounding yourself with uh, the right individuals, right? Mm -hmm. You, An individual, would you say, might have a lot of uh, intention and determination yeah. and wanting to do a certain things. But okay. for example, if you're in the wrong crowds, for no fault of yours, mm -hmm. um, you know, things things might um, not go as intended. Yeah. You just, uh, yeah, yeah. 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, when you were a child, did you have any spiritual experiences or mystical experiences? Oh, wow. You know, I, well, yeah, because I was raised when I finally landed in the adopted family's home Catholic. And, um, so, you know, we were, and, and one of the foster families that we lived with was church of Christ. So they were very religious yeah. and very strict. And then when I lived with my, the man I call my dad who adopted me, very Catholic, very religious with the Catholic faith. And so, my and my mom was the opposite. She wasn't religious at all. I wouldn't even say she was spiritual. So I never okay. had any experience of spirituality or things that happened to me on my own that I experienced. And then when I had this experience with the very religious foster family and then being, you know, sort of forced into the cat, you know, Catholicism, I sort of rebelled 
against religion. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s, early 30s that I started to discover spirituality on my own through meditation and through wanting mm -hmm. to connect deeper with myself and understand things that I'd been through. And, and that's when I discovered spirituality. And I think it was from just a searching and a, a needing to really understand deeper who I was, why I was here. I used to, I remember I used to ask the question, I would wake up in the morning and I would just say, you know, is this all there is? Is this all that, is this what I'm meant to be? Am I just here to mm -hmm. take up space on the planet? That doesn't make any sense right. to me. I feel like mm -hmm. I'm here for more. And so I would always question why am I here? Why am I here? And I dealt with depression for a lot of years because I never knew, quote unquote, my why or my purpose or my mission until probably my early 30s. And then I stumbled into it. Yeah. yeah. I feel sometimes that uh, ignorance can be a bliss. Right? <laughs> yes. Like if you don't yes. know a lot of things, mm. life is simple. Mm. You just so uh, you know, work a job, work on getting a promotion. You know, you get married, you follow the things, you get a house, you get a car, and then you just follow a regimented pattern and nothing is wrong with that. But when you start asking the very profound mm. questions of yourself, irrespective of whether you know the answers or not, mm. like for me, the three most fundamental questions is where you're from, what is your purpose? And most importantly, what's going to happen after you uh, pass away legacy and, yeah and some right mm -hmm. sometimes that can be hard because that it feels almost as if you jump into into the ocean without knowing how to swim <laughs> would you say yeah. like that and that can cause depression also yeah. right because you're like wow i didn't know that this uh, expression of my life exists mm. so, so much is true. possible and yet here i am yeah yep so I'm grateful for those profound questions, honestly, because it would have been, you know, I, I don't believe in wasting a life, right? And I, the years that I was using drugs, for me, when I look back, as much as it taught me a lot, and I learned some of my biggest lessons and, and developed a lot of qualities in, in me now because of that. Um, mm -hmm. When I look back on it, though, I do feel a bit regretful of the the wasting of years that I did while I was using because I wasn't contributing anything to the planet. I contributed nothing, you know, and I and I do have some regret for that because it's six years of my life, seven years of my life that I could have, who knows what I could have done in those seven years, right? So. Right. It's important. I think it's really important to, you know, and, and each to their own, right? If you're not someone who wants to be profound and ask deep questions, then that's fine. And I don't have any judgment on that. But I do believe yeah. that, that if we get this one magical, perfect opportunity at a life, why would we yeah. ever squander it? You know, and, mm -hmm. and the, the TED Talk, I don't know if you've ever seen the one by Mel Robbins, where she talks about the, the fact that we're ever born is like one in, I think it's 400 trillion, the odds that we're born. And so that yeah. cliche saying of like, your life is a gift. It really is. <laughs> it's a miracle that we're here, that your parents met, That's that true. the sperm and the egg connected, that, that it was the perfect night, the perfect timing, that you came to full term. So it is mm. a gift, right? And so I just don't believe in squandering this life. So. Yeah, yeah.
That's that's way true. And, uh, you know, when you said, I wish I had those six years back and I did something different, what came to my mind was actually, that's actually good in a way because it shows to people, somebody who might be listening to this episode, who is at year, maybe they're 35 or maybe they're 45 or maybe they're 55 as well. It just shows that it's never too late to change your life for one reason or the other. You might have gone down the wrong route or maybe a different career that you don't really want to do, or maybe you've you know, lost some years for some reason or the other. Maybe you're a refugee. Yeah. Maybe there was an attack in your hometown and you had to change your country for, but you can always start from scratch because of the resilience and the amazing yeah. aspect of the human uh, human being, yeah. right? Of how, what, what is possible for I us. I love that. And yeah, I always, um, it's funny, I was on a hike this morning and I, was just thinking how there's only two things that we can actually, that we have any control over in our life. The first is our thoughts. And the second actually Mm -hmm. is our breath. Those are the only two Mm -hmm. things we can control. We can't control other people. We can't control the environment. We can't control the economy. We can't control how someone feels about us. We can't control who we're going to meet, right? The only thing we can control is what we do up here and what we do Mm -hmm. here. Our nose through our breath and our mind for our thoughts. And so, you know, in every single moment, every second, we have the opportunity to change through breath Mm -hmm. and through a thought. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Yeah. just to your point, like it's, it is, it's possible to change at any moment, you know, it's just, do you want to, right? That's the question. Yeah, yeah. So what did you want to become as a child? You know, I know a lot of us had our own, you know, <laughs> visions of what we wanted to become, irrespective of status. Mm-hmm. Like some people will want to do something simple, like a carpenter yeah. as well, or somebody like in my case, I wanted to be a paleontologist because I loved, you know, dinosaurs, mm. uh, you know, growing up. Mm. But what was it for you? So for me, I wanted two things. One, I wanted to be a rock and roll singer. And two, okay. I wanted to be an oceanographer. They're completely different, but I, but I I loved um, at that time, I don't know where I got the love of the ocean because until I was 16, I never really saw the ocean um, when I moved to California. But for some reason, the idea of an oceanographer swimming under and like discovering things was fascinating. And then being a rock and roll singer, well, that's just cool. So, you know, (laughs) that's true. So that's true. Well, the ocean is uh, captivating and scary at the same yes. time. Uh, it's yeah. it's beautiful because it's it's so vast, vast it's yeah. so expansive, and we've just discovered five to seven percent of you know the oceans, like Pacific and Atlantic. But at the same time, it's scary because mm-hmm. it's so deep, mm-hmm. and because of movies like like Jaws, every time <laughs> I swim, at least during a certain phase in my life, I always thought something is going to come down. You know, come <laughs> up and, and grab up. me and pull. That's funny. Even if I was in a swimming pool. That's funny. Uh, but interesting. So a rock star as well. Did you yeah, say that? A rock star, singer, rock okay, star. Yeah. Okay. Um, right, right, funny right. though, for the ocean, because now as an older person, um, I, the ocean is my happy place. It's my safe, happy place. I didn't become an oceanographer, really? but it is the one place mm-hmm. that to this day grounds me the most. So if I said, you know, where if someone says, where's your happy place? I'd say near water, the ocean. Right. That's cool. One of the things in my bucket list is to uh, go on an ocean adventure in Haida Gwaii, which is off the coast of sort of northern British Columbia, mm. because it's uh, it's very beautiful. Mm. There's a lot of uh, experiences that you can have mm. in that area and then coming back and camping on the 
uh, on back on the ground is something that I really crave to do. That sounds yeah, amazing. I'm actually a big fan of camping. So maybe we should yeah. do that one together. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny. For sure. So uh, how did you get into fitness then? I saw, I know you sort of implied it a little yeah. bit, but what was that uh, shift for you yeah. of getting into fitness and training mm-hmm. and movement? Yeah. So gosh, how did I get into fitness? Oh my goodness. Um, it, it was magical, I guess, and, and meant to be. Through my addiction to the drugs, and then when I got clean from the drugs, I was still searching for a way to get that I guess, high that I felt from the drug, right? So obviously I have an addictive personality. And so I started running, I think, as a form of therapy, as a way to sort of think my thoughts and feel myself. And uh, I don't I don't really know how I started, but when I started, I realized that every single time I ran, I felt better. I felt more connected to myself. I was able to answer questions that I was that were percolating in my heart and and mind. And so obviously back then I didn't really understand that it was endorphins being released, which was giving me this really awesome feeling every time I ran. Now I understand it and now obviously over the years. But um, so I fell in love with running and I started doing distance running. And then one thing led to another and I decided I wanted to do a marathon. And so before I knew it, I was running 10 miles a day, 12 miles a day and preparing to do my first marathon, which was in Los Angeles. And so I was living in Wisconsin at the time after I got out of the rehab and um, Mm. planned to come back to LA in March of the year because the marathons were every March. And so I don't remember what month I started training, but my goal was to move back to LA after being in Wisconsin for about a year and a half after getting sober um and to come home usually after you do get clean off of a drug and you're and you're sober you're it's recommended that you don't make big changes or big moves and so i stayed in wisconsin once i got out of the rehab to really kind of solidify my foundation of sobriety and so as i was running and training and set my goal for that marathon I started feeling like, oh, I want to do whatever I can to get a really good time. So I started lifting weights and because I knew that that would improve my strength and my legs and my core. And so I started lifting and lo and behold, I fell in love with that too. So (laughs) then I um, came back to LA. I ran that marathon. I crushed it. It was amazing. It was so fun. And I was so happy. And I got a job working at a company that was in the entertainment industry. And um, that was real fun and it was great. And I started like working again, which I had never held a job, a real job, like because of my years of using, I dabbled in jobs. So I had my very first job. And then from that job, I ended up in another job where I was in sales. And one day we all walked in to our jobs and we got what's called pink slipped, which means you get let go basically because the company was going under and I'd been there for three and a half years. And while I was there, one thing that I started sharing with people was my routine. What I was doing is everyone was like, Oh my God, your body looks amazing. What are you doing? And they would see me eating my cut up fruit and my veggies for lunch and my little Tupperware dishes. And they would make fun of me because they were all going to get like, you know, some fast food down the street. And I was eating in the kitchen, healthy foods. And so everyone was always asking me, like, what are, what, what are you doing? How are you getting so fit? And you look great and you eat great. Tell us. So I was coaching my coworkers 
for free, obviously, but just giving them little tips and things. And so when we got the pink slips that day, I was like, what is the thing that excites me the most right now? Because I never want to work for a company again that can pull the rug out from under me. And so Mm -hmm. I made a decision in that moment that I wanted to work for myself, but I was like, what do I want to do? And the only Mm -hmm. thing that I felt passionate about was helping people be healthier like I had Mm -hmm. become. And so also I wanted to pass on the gift of how health and fitness had really saved my life, like literally saved my life. I don't know if I would have stayed clean if I hadn't discovered running. I might have fallen back into the trap of the drugs because it was the one thing that gave me the feeling of, I'm alive, I matter, um, things make sense. And so I felt amazing. And so I wanted to share it. And mm-hmm. so when I got that pink slip, the next couple of weeks, I took a couple of you know weeks off, but I had this chunk of money because we got severance packages and a lot of time. And I'm like, what do I want to do? I think I'll be a personal trainer. So I got certified mm-hmm. and got all my certifications and, and started doing that. And, um, yeah, then I had a massage therapy along the way because I just loved the body and the anatomy and, um, one thing led to another and I just started getting one celebrity client after another through, I worked at, um, Gold's gym and gym in Venice, California, which is like the Mecca of bodybuilding. And that's where a lot of the celebrities still train. But back then there were so many like Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Rock, um, Oliver Stone was a client that I met in the gym. Like there was just so many celebrities. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, little by little, I started building a beautiful career and one thing led to another, like I said, and, um, yeah, I, I love the career I've had. It's been amazing. 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 So how did you go about uh, from being addicted to maybe a drug that is not good for you in the long term to being addicted to something like running maybe or fitness that gives you a high, but it's good for you in the long run? How did you how did your body adjust to it? Because mm. I'm guessing that a lot of our listeners as well, somebody I know very close to me also, is trying to get off something like, for example, medications in consultation with their doctor, of mm. course. But then sometimes it's hard to make that switch, yeah. right, into something that is uh, good for you, like running or breath work mm. or fitness, mm. uh, right? Mm-hmm. That brings about the joy within you. And deep down at the cellular level as well, you know that it is good for right. you and it shows, it radiates. Right. Uh, through your essence? Yeah. I, such a good question, you know, and it also kind of in tandem with the question, like, how do you stay motivated, right? Like, so your question plus the other question that kind of comes up a lot and bubbles a lot around that same right. idea is how do you stay motivated mm-hmm. to do those healthy things, those things that are good for you? And I think, I think this answer kind of speaks to both of those ideas of How do you find the thing and substitute it for the bad habit and create a good habit and stick to it? And how do you keep the motivation to do that good habit thing, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, again, this was on the hikes. I don't know why I got thoughtful today, maybe because I knew that I was going to have this podcast with you. And and I was thinking of a lot of like deep thoughts, but I was thinking like, what is the answer I always give people when they say, and it's like, it ha- I think it stems from having a deep enough why and the why talk from Simon Sinek, we all know, like, what's your why? We all know this cliche saying, what's your purpose? What's your why? But in reality, it does come down to having a strong enough, or as Tony Robbins says, a compelling why, like a why mm-hmm. that would get your 
booty out of bed in the morning when it's five mm-hmm. below, when it's pouring rain, when the alarm is going off at 5 a.m. and you just want to stay warm and cozy. What is a strong enough why that will make you leap out of bed and get your butt to the gym and do the workout, mm-hmm. run on the street, do what you've got to do to be the healthiest version of you that you also know, by the way, once you start doing it, you feel better. And once you've done mm-hmm. it, you feel amazing. So what's stronger than just a why, like I want to look good or I want to fit into my skinny jeans. That's not strong enough. It has to be stronger than you. I think it even has to be stronger than just a looks or aesthetic. It has to be deep and strong so that it's not just about you. It's about what do you want to leave behind? What do you want to, who do you want to touch on the planet? Because honestly, when we feel better about who we are and how we look and we have more confidence because now we've lost the weight then aren't we a better human? Don't we interact with our family better? Don't we show up at work differently? Don't we create things better? So yes, it could start as a aesthetic. Yeah, I want to look better. But ultimately, when you look better, because you lost the weight or you're feeling fit, you have more confidence. You become kinder for some reason. As soon as you feel more confident, you're a better human. And so all of those things tie together. So I would say build that why really strong. It's got to be so strong and it can't just be about losing five pounds. It's got to be deeper than that. And, and how do you keep remembering that? Why yeah. do you have a process yeah. of, you know, waking up and maybe reading your why mm. or mm. putting, yeah. you know, stickers yeah. on that was just gonna say. parts in your house, yes. right? Decide to remind yourself of your why. Cause otherwise, you, you know, you're depending on that to, conferences that you attend mm. during the year yeah. and your annual, yeah. <laughs> annual and you fall off. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, great okay. question. And so that is, that's the kicker, right? Like you've got to do things to reinforce it all the time. And so many years ago, before I really kind of just got really clear about how to keep my thoughts and my mindset on point, I would use sticky notes. I would write in lipstick on my mirror, like the thought for the day, the mantra that would keep me motivated. I put it on my refrigerator, I put it as a screensaver on my phone, on my computer, whatever the motivating thought, the compelling why, the, the mantra, one mantra that I used to say was I can, I will, I am. And that mantra I started when I started running at like 26, 27, I would actually, when I moved to LA, I remember saying it out loud while I was running in the sand in Venice beach barefoot. And I would be like, I can, I will, I am, I can, I will, I am. And I would just say it the whole time I was running. And so now, even as you know, 30 years later, I will find myself recanting that mantra when I feel Mm -hmm. lost or I'm struggling or I'm like a little lazy or I'm feeling like, uh, I lost my mojo today. I'll just chant that particular mantra. I can, I will, I am. And I repeat it out loud. I repeat it in my head. I write it, but it starts with, you know, having it somewhere where you can see it, remember it, um, be faced with it. And also at some point it has to just be something that you catch yourself. Because invariably, we're going to fall off. And when you catch yourself starting to slump, like from when you're like this and you're standing tall and you're feeling good and everything is awesome, to when then invariably you're slumped over, your head goes down, your voice goes slower and quieter because you're feeling depressed or lethargic, how do you pump yourself back up? You have to have things in place. And so one of them is out loud incantations or mantras or affirmations, um, moving your body, changing your physiology, changing your state 
to me is the favorite way. Like when I mm-hmm. change my state through movement, um, instantly I feel better. Instantly. Like even if it's just like ha 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 punches, doing some punches and and using your breath, um, doing some jumping jacks, doing uh, tapping, like tapping your body and saying some things out loud. But you've got to mm-hmm. do something that changes your state and jars you from going down into that rabbit hole of you know right. yeah <laughs> life sucks right you just got to pull yourself yeah, out yeah, yeah. and you have to have things in place. True. How did uh, you discover breath work? When did that happen? What was mm-hmm. going on in your life? And, uh, you know, what was that experience? Like? Yeah, for me, um, well, I had done meditation for since I'm 30. So I had meditated on and off since 30. But I never, you know, focused just solely on the breath like I did about eight years ago when I discovered breath work. Um, meditation I found was amazing, but, but I did struggle with quieting the monkey mind, right? Like, which is a lot of people's, um, reason for not being able to meditate. And so about, like I said, eight years ago, I was in a, a breakup and over the years, over the 20, 30 years of being in this business of, you know, helping people transform their bodies and wanting to help people, you know, have alignment in mind, body, and soul. And I was, I was saying the whole thing about, you know, it's not just one thing. It's not just body. It's not just soul. It's not just mind. It's all of these things as one, a unified mm-hmm. holistic approach. And I was talking about that 20 years ago in Gold's Zoom and people were looking at me like I had four heads, like I was a weirdo, yeah. but I was saying it's mind, body, soul, mind, body, spirit. And so now that's finally cool to talk about. But um, mm-hmm. when I was I had many tools like I have used anger work I've used journaling I've used you know getting lost in the wilderness to find myself I've used all these things to help me when I'm in a tough place right but this one particular breakup that I was going through 8 years ago for some reason none of my tools were working anger work didn't work meditation wasn't working journaling wasn't working I was feeling really stuck and paralyzed and so a friend of mine said hey go try breath work there's this new studio that opened and go try it. I'm like, what's that? I didn't even know that there was a thing called breath work. And so I went mm-hmm. and I went to this class and it was the three part open mouth breathing and my whole world just blew open everything. Like I was crying. I was um, letting go of anger. I was letting go of tears. I was um, in gratitude. I was, I, I remember sitting up from that class and just going, Oh my goodness, this is the thing. This is the Mm -hmm. thing that can change a life, not only for me, myself, and in that moment, I knew what to do in the relationship and how to move through it with grace and um, kindness and all of that. But most importantly, I was feeling a little stuck in my business. Like I wanted to go deeper with clients, but I didn't have a tool. And so I was already starting the wheel turning of like, what's the next iteration of my work? And so that Mm -hmm. night I was like, not only do I need this for me, but I want to do this with other people. And I knew I wanted to teach it. And so that was the beginning of me starting to study it. And I went deeper for my own work. And then I started taking different training certifications and thus began my journey. Got it. Got it. Uh, so you focus on uh, conscious circular breathing, mm-hmm. right? At least that's one of that's the That's one of the styles. Yeah. And that is, yeah, it's called yeah. three part open mouth breathing or conscious circular breathing. It's been called transformational yeah. breathing, holotropic breath, yeah. you know, all the different styles, right? The iterations of it. 
yeah, yeah. So for somebody who's new to this, could you paint a picture of what this involves? Yeah. This type so of, this particular right. type of breath too, like I, I also coach and believe uh, in gentle, just pranayama, just basic breath, right? Just, you know, deep mm-hmm. inhale, open the mouth, audible sigh, exhaling. Those types of breaths and even in through the nose, out through the nose are beautiful and healing and soothing and calming. And I love that. Mm -hmm. And I also teach that style. But my favorite style to teach, like you just described, is the conscious circular breath. And the reason why is because Mm -hmm. to me, it is the fastest way to shift your state. And to me, I also believe it's literally a direct hit to your heart. Whereas sometimes the other breathing, it's beautiful, it's grounding, um, like for meditative style breathing, but it doesn't what I call crack you open like conscious mm-hmm. circular breath work does. And that is why I was drawn to it because I've always been this person that wanted to help people shift where they were at, let go of their trauma, heal their past, um, not let limiting beliefs and, and abuses and things like that steal their joy in their life. And the tools that I believe we have, like no disrespect. I believe in talk therapy. I was in and out of therapy as a kid and in my twenties and thirties for years, but I never had this huge life-changing shift in therapy ever. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and same with journaling and, and meditation. And so this breath work to me is the most cathartic. And so it's a three part breath that is all done through the open mouth. And we do it through the open mouth so that we can bring in a lot of oxygen, which is healing and has wisdom and has insight and energy. And then we exhale, we do two inhales, one to the belly, one into the heart. And then the exhale is also out the mouth. So we're Mm -hmm. pulling in all this oxygen and then we're setting free all the carbon dioxide on the exhale. And the exchange of these two gases creates this beautiful melting pot of of an area for you to kind of shift and i don't know I, there is no real rhyme or reason of why we pull the breath into our belly and except for that is where we store a lot of emotions i guess that makes yeah. the most sense and then the energy from breath stirs it all up and then that exhale yeah. allows you to free it right i mean but there's no scientific proof that that's why people cry yeah. profusely or have this big aha or even yeah say they feel like they took ayahuasca. I've had people say that it feels like I'm on ayahuasca when I do this kind of breath Mm -hmm. work. So that's kind Mm -hmm. of a little bit about what it, how you do it and what it's like. I I do think to me, it's the, out of 28 years in the healing wellness space, this is the modality that shifts people the quickest that I've ever seen. The healthiest version. I mean, obviously, you could take a drug and get high and be shifted, yeah. but that's not a healthy way to do it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you've said that uh, breathwork is like a direct hit to your heart. So, tell me a little bit more about yeah. this. Yeah. Well, I, you know, like I said, for me, the first breathwork I did, it brought a big mm-hmm. fetal position cry, a big guttural cry. It brought gratitude and it brought forgiveness and it brought healing through the process of the breath. And obviously I had a great teacher and, uh, you know, that was leading the class, but I think even without a teacher, a great teacher or a teacher, I do it to myself. I, I 
take myself in my, I have a walk-in closet that I turned into my breathing space and my, also my sound room. And, um, Mm. I take myself in there and I put on a playlist and I do the breath and first note of the first song I'm crying and I'm reconnected Mm -hmm. to my heart again. So when I say it's Mm -hmm. a direct hit to your heart, it really is. It literally, it's as if, you know, sometimes we're we're numb or, or we're distracted or we're walking around. We're just like in our head. We're not feeling life. We're doing life, right? Mm -hmm. Breath work, this type of breath work makes you feel life. It makes you connect to life. And that's, you know, so when I say direct hit to the heart, it's like, it's literally like a fire hose of connection to your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very, very true. And I found also a lot of times we uh, get used to a pattern so much that we're literally, you know, just in and out doing what we think we should and uh, going by what societal standards are of what we should be doing. Mm. And we forget what our true aspirations Mm. are, what our true goals are, what's our vision really Mm. that we probably might have set uh, years back. And uh, also breathwork helps you remember that, right? And it also helps you remember that, but helps you uh, discover that you might be closer than you think Mm. you were Mm, to that goal, Mm. right? To that ideal. Yeah, so true. I mean, there's so many gifts of breathwork. It's clarity, it's connection, it's gratitude, it's forgiveness, it's kindness, it's um, purpose, it's call. I mean, there's just, the list is endless, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Right. How does breathwork help a person let go of uh, limiting beliefs? Because a lot of times we have these limiting beliefs that prevent us from taking action or prevent us from actually, uh, you know, thinking that it's possible for us in the first place Mm -hmm. and owning it. And expecting that result, which is so crucial, yeah. right, in terms of goal setting. Mm-hmm. So how does breathwork help us let go of those limiting beliefs, not just for the one, two, three hours after the breathwork session, but for a more longer time? Yeah, great question. Um, well, what's beautiful about this type of breathwork and this style is we're all familiar with flow mm-hmm. state, right? Like when you get into flow yeah. state, that's like the perfect sweet spot of life, right? And so we want to be in flow state as often as we can. And it's hard to get there because of our monkey mind and our thoughts and our limiting beliefs. But when we do this conscious circular breath pattern, what it does is it taps into our frontal lobe and it turns off. There's a thing called uh, transient hyperfrontality. It's a weird word, but what it does (laughs) is it allows for a moment in time the, the frontal lobe to quiet. It quiets down for a moment, for just a moment in time, the mind and the, the thinking mind, the conscious mind. And so when you're doing this breath and you've got a teacher that's also helping you sort of reprogram, if you will, some of the limiting belief thoughts, the negative self-beat, the, the loop that we get in, that we get stuck in because of life, mm-hmm. because of our trauma, because of our past, because of society often. When we quiet the mind enough that we can insert some better beliefs, some better thoughts, some better affirmations, then we can reprogram a little bit, if you will, what's going on in our conscious mind by putting them in our subconscious while the frontal lobe Mm -hmm. is quiet. Our thinking mind quiets down long enough for us to do that. And if you do that enough, repeatedly, continuously, like create a habit of it, 
eventually you shift that groove in the record that was negative, that groove in the record that was self-beating, that was limiting. And you reprogram it with mm-hmm. positive things and beautiful things and uplifting thoughts. So that's kind of how it does it. Mm-hmm. That's very, very true. I don't know who said that, but somebody said, uh, we are creatures of habit. And so we are what we do most of the time. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. The more you do something, yes. then automatically, whether it's good or bad, yes. we become that. And that becomes an expression of us. Mm. What was, I mean, if you're open to sharing, what was the biggest fear that you had to work on or limiting belief on your oh, journey? Oh, geez. That's an easy one for me. Um, uh, you know, I, we grew up, um, when I did live with my mom in and out of the foster yeah. care, we grew up on welfare. And so we had food mm-hmm. stamps and we lived in what's called a HUD house, which means the government subsidized the home. And so we grew up poor. And, um, you know, I remember being in lines at the grocery store and my mom would pull out the food stamps and, you know, and the people and just, we would get looks and it was embarrassed. I remember being shamed about money, mm-hmm. um, about being poor, but then also some of the beliefs and mindset that my mom did have around money. She would say things like, like most parents, a lot, it's not uncommon. Money doesn't grow on trees. Like that's not that uncommon, but she would also say things like, you know, people with money are snobs or jerks or assholes, you know, like she would say these things about having money was bad. And that if you have money, you're going to be a jerk in life. And so I grew up with a poverty mindset that I didn't deserve to have abundance, that I didn't deserve to be wealthy. And that if I had money, I was going to be a jerk. And so one of the things that I had to overcome and work really hard on was my belief that I deserved to have money and that it's okay to have money and I can be a good human and be rich too. So I'm Mm -hmm. still working on it. It's something I work on all the time because it's not always easy to reprogram something you grew up with that's ingrained in your cells. But, you know, we've got great tools now. We're talking about one of them, the breath work. And, you know, there's even, Mm -hmm. you know, plant medicines that people can use to shift some of their beliefs and limiting beliefs from, you know, years and years of of living in a certain way and, and you can go on a journey and suddenly, (laughs) you know, you can reprogram it. And so, yeah, I, I worked Mm -hmm. a lot on that one, you know, and there's always other, you know, as I'm older, right. Like the aging, you know, fear of like, is it too late? You know, have I, but then I always just proved myself that it is never too late because look at all that I've done. Every time I reinvent myself and my business, like going into breath work Mm -hmm. from fitness you know, that was a reinvention basically. And it was scary, that transition. I really kind of dove all in into the breath work and I had to let go of my other business and it was scary in the beginning. Right. And then, mm-hmm. um, but I had success pretty quickly. I got, yeah, I wouldn't call it luck. I believe what is it? What's it when preparedness meets opportunity. Right. So I wouldn't call it luck, but I, I did the work and I showed up fully as myself every single time I taught and I, I developed a following pretty quickly. But um, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. so the fear of getting older and the fear of money were two of my mm-hmm. things I had to work on. What is your understanding of money? What is, what is money to you? Well, back in the day, it had one, one understanding, but now what I believe money is just simply an exchange of energy mm-hmm. that allows us to have what I believe freedom, to have choices, yep. to have opportunities, to give back to be mm-hmm. able to um, expand how we do what we do, 
touch more people. Like that's how I look at money now. I, I never, I've never cared about materialism. I don't care about fancy cars or jewelry. You say I wear no jewelry. I'm never, I don't even wear ear. I mean, I don't believe it. I don't care about any of them. It's fine yeah. for those that do. But the reason why I crave and care about having money is so that I can do more beautiful things in the world so that I have mm-hmm. freedom to work on projects that are my passion projects to be able to give more back to the universe and leave a legacy behind. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Money to me is freedom. Money is opportunity and options. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. And sometimes I think about money as being a custodian of money in that it's not really yours, but you are uh, somebody who knows how to use this energy so that you are dispersing it and using it in the best way and the highest, uh, you know, use mm-hmm. possible. So like you pointed out, you're not just uh, hoarding it yourself, but then it's coming into your life and then you're using it, channeling it, uh, giving it back so that that cycle is, is met. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's very, very interesting. I love to ask this question yeah. from time to time because, you know, everyone has our own money story and our relationship to uh, what we define as money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in talking about trauma, I know we went a little bit into this and we all have different types of trauma. Yeah. We are born with a trauma. Birthing, uh, in a way, is a trauma yeah. as well. And, you know, different types of trauma, PTSD, mm-hmm you know, relationship trauma, breakups, things like that. But how does breathwork help us process and deal with and maybe resolve that trauma? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, look, and I, you know, disclaimer, I'm obviously not a licensed therapist or trauma therapist. So I want to just clarify that right out the gate. But obviously, Mm -hmm. um, I have experienced my own trauma. And I've also worked with students and clients who have trauma and have come to me and have expressed Mm -hmm. their traumas. So I have witnessed through my own eyes um, and experientially the the way that breathwork has been able to help people understand their trauma, move through it and let it go. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've experienced it, like I said. So when we talk about how does breathwork help people, you know, just being careful to not be, you know, making claims here, but I have literally, process some of my own trauma, which was, you know, abandonment trauma, um, uh, sexual abuse trauma, um, um, just fear in general over, you know, what am I going to do with my life traumas? And I've, I've, I've processed through a lot of mine through my own breath work. And I've seen the people that I've worked with let go of their, a lot of their quote unquote traumas, little T's, big T's, trauma, PTSD, all the types of trauma that there is. And it's because, again, you know, it starts with understanding the trauma, the effect it's had in your life, how it's impacted mm-hmm. you. Um, it's never the trauma itself. It's what the trauma leaves behind, the scarring of the trauma. And so how can we deal with the scars that are left and what they're doing, what our perception of those the scars are? What is our um, relationship with what it's done to us? That's what we need to work on. And so I believe that a lot of times breath work really just helps us fall back in love with who we are, forgive ourselves and others. It helps us let go of shame. It helps us um, understand sometimes that everything we go through is not 
to us. It didn't happen to us. As I say, it happened for us. And so if we can turn the way we look at the trauma around that is the beginning mm-hmm. of letting it go and moving through it and healing it. And so breath work is just a conduit to helping you understand it, to helping you have clarity, to helping you get forgiveness and freedom. You know, so I, I can't say that it heals it fully. You may still need to do more work, but it certainly opens right. the doorway to freeing yourself from it and unlocking that, that bondage that it has on us. That's very true. If you if all of us were able to see, you know, like a deep level of energy, then we would see all these different cords and strings yeah. that are connected to each other mm-hmm. at an etheric level or a quantum level. Because I think every interaction that we have, every every glass that we have with another person is like a cord that's getting, mm-hmm. you know, connected, mm-hmm. right? And obviously, the deeper relationship you have, the stronger that knot is. And so it's fascinating how sometimes we need to cut the cord. Yeah. Sometimes cord we need cutting, to strengthen yeah. the cord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's all connected, right? Everything, everything affects because we're all energy, right? And we're all frequency vibration and, and everything yeah. we do impacts the world. It impacts energy. It impacts others around yeah. us. So we, we're, we don't live in an Island. We don't live in a vacuum, you know, as yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when it comes to uh, somebody wanting to, um, you know, envision something or change their life or create something brand new, a lot of times they say that it's not about what you do, but it's about who you become that will allow you to sort of uh, step into that new role, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, They say that identity is more important than, you know, learning to do X, Y, Z, the steps, Mm -hmm. Right. So how, from your perspective, does a person go about uh, identity shifting Mm. in that sense Mm. so that they can, you know, be that person that does this or facilitates this Mm, or owns this. Mm. Right. Right. Because it almost feels as if it's a never ending road. You you may learn like hundreds of skills, but deep down, if you don't feel that that you're worthy, deserve it or yeah, person. Right. Mm. It's never going to happen. But let's say, for example, you don't have all those skills, but deep down you feel like, you know, you've stepped into that identity. You've had that identity shift. Would you say it becomes a little bit more streamlined or flow, so to speak? A hundred percent. I think, you know, gosh, one of the saddest things for me to have witnessed over, you know, by now, I think I've seen like 11,200 students, something like that, over 11,000 students. I don't know the exact number, but um, Mm -hmm. over the eight years in different classes and workshops and trainings I've done over the years. And one of the most common threads of identities that people have is that they don't feel worthy or deserving. I'd say that is the most common theme that I've seen in people. And it, right. this one breaks my heart the most because that is what leads to people feeling, unfortunately, suicidal, suicide ideation, right. um, and people not wanting to, to be here anymore, right? So that one has broken my heart the most. And I think, how do we change this identity? How do we change this mindset? I mean, again, it's like first you have to, with anything, you, the only way to change anything is first to understand it understand, Mm -hmm. identify what it is that you identify with. Like, what are you believing about yourself? Are you believing that you're 
an unworthy person? Do you believe that you are too old? Do you believe that you're not sexy mm -hmm. enough? So first identify what are your limiting identity beliefs, right? Understand mm -hmm. those, look at those so that you can see what you need. What's the juxtaposition? What's the opposite of yeah. that? How do you need to flip it to become the person that you want to be, right? And so if you have no clarity around it, it's really hard to change your identity. But once we get really crystal clear about what we think we are and we understand that that's not really serving us, then yeah. we can go about going, okay, I think I'm too old. Well, is that true? Is that real? Am I really too old? Like then I'll go and find mm. some cases of people that are twice my age or, well, not twice my age, they wouldn't be alive, but like way older than I am and see that they've done it before. They've created what I want to create. Find an example of it and then I can flip that belief. I'm not too old. That's just a thought I've been telling myself about who I am, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, I'm not deserving. I'm not worthy. Well, who, who told you that? Where did you get that belief? Is that true? Is that real? Like first mm -hmm. question it. Understand that that's some story. Where did you first hear that story? Who told you that? Right. And then question that source. Somebody in your life told you that. Who, are the, who is that person? Do, are they worthy of telling you that? Are they worthy, right? Mm -hmm. And then once we identify what we don't want to be, the, the identity that isn't serving us anymore, we, like I said, we go about flipping it. And you can only flip mm -hmm. it by, you have to disprove those beliefs. Uh, and then you set the new ones in place. And then you have to, um, they have to become you. You have to own them. You have to really let them meld into your body, right? And then yeah. you have to step into that fully. But again, yeah. if you don't believe it, if you don't believe you're worthy or deserving of it, no matter what, how much work you try to do on identity shifting, it won't, it won't take, it won't stick. Mm -hmm. So it, I believe it's a constant like that was that little magnet you put on your refrigerator. I'm a work in progress. I used to have that magnet it says I'm a constant mm -hmm. work in progress. And, and we all are. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, you come across a lot of people who are in their mid-30s and they've already given up on mm -hmm. life. They're like, you know, my 20s were great and that was a time to really do stuff. Mm -hmm. But now, And on the other hand, you ha have people who are in their mid-40s, mid-50s or even mid-60s who have a different mindset. They go to the gym like three to four times in a week. Yeah. Maybe they go for fitness. They go, you know, to do sauna. Mm -hmm. They do a cold plunge. They do breath yeah. work. And they have like green juices all the time. And then you realize that those people who are, uh, you know, biologically older, actually younger than these mid-35 people who've sort of given up on life and sort of brings the other people down as well. Right? So, yeah, so, you're so right. Spot on with that. I mean, again, it comes yeah, yeah. back to mindset, right? And, and choices. Like I said in the beginning, um, the only two things we can change are breath and our thoughts, right? So mm -hmm. it's up to, it's up to and all, all the thoughts. Yeah, it's like, and, and changing a thought is a little bit more harder compared to breath, right? 100%. I'm not, dispute, yeah. I'm not saying it's easy, My but yeah. Mind is always chattering. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. not easy, but the breath also helps. So right. it's beautiful because those two things can support each other. When you change the yeah. breath, you're more open to changing your thoughts yeah. because now you've got a handle on yourself, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of people have the fear of failure, right? That's very common. Mm -hmm. Fear of failure. Uh, but a lot of people also have, and I'm sure that you've come across this in working with, um, you know, celebrities, fear of success, because mm. a lot of times you get used to a certain level of success, mm. right? And that level of success becomes your version of mediocrity. Like maybe you're a YouTuber, maybe you've worked with YouTubers, right? 
they've uh, you know released a youtube video that has 5 million views that's awesome yeah. in by many cases <laughs> and then you know there's an opportunity to make 10 million views but then they're like what if i you know launch something it hits success and then i go back to like 100,000 views mm-hmm. how do you facilitate and help a person go through that weird thought process yeah off fear of success yeah oh my goodness i mean it fear in general right i always I, what's the one false evidence appearing real right is one anal- uh, but i also use this one i go i use fear means to me face everything and rise up so f e a r face everything and rise up and so mm-hmm. even though we're going to be afraid of and i look i've dabbled with fear of success fear of failure for all of it right and the only way to push through it is to face it like Okay, the worst case scenario. I do a video and it sucks. I do a, a YouTube and it doesn't get the same and and so what's the worst case scenario? Okay, I know that video didn't land, then I'll try something else. So I like to play right. out what that worst case is of the fear. So if it's fear of failure, if it's fear of success, um I think that, you know, if you play it out, okay, so let's say I become successful and mm-hmm. what what's the fear there? I'll play it all the way out. So then I'll have a lot of fame and then I'll have a lot of people writing me and so then what would I do about that? Well, then I'll get some people to help me manage all the people that are coming at me. Then I'll hire yeah. the, you know, so play it out fully and see is it as bad as yeah. I'm making it out to be? Uh and even if it is, can I still do it anyhow? Right? And because mm-hmm. the only way out of it is through it. And the only way to ha- tackle it is to take the first step. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's one of those That's things very, that you just have to true. face it and do it. Yeah, yeah. Other than uh you know breath work um and meditation, what are some other tools that you have in your toolkit to help you change your state yeah. and raise your vibrations? Mm, I I think my two favorite ones um and not everybody might agree with this one. I really am a fan of cathartic energy release, which also known as like big yells um uh or quote unquote anger work, uh where you are in a safe and healthy way releasing yeah. some of the feeling that might be keeping you stuck in the moment. So, um you know, if your state is feeling blocked or frozen or paralyzed, which a lot of people went through during COVID, right, where they just felt frozen or anxious all the time, stressed all the time, because of the fear we didn't know what was coming or happening um that ends up being like a bowling ball of energy in your stomach and when you feel that you can't move you are frozen literally and so the only way to unlock that sometimes is to let out i believe a big guttural yell or several yells or several like ah ha a scream uh sometimes it's you know and I, this was a style of anger work that I learned many years ago where you take I would take a tennis racket on a pillow on my bed and literally beat the heck out of that pillow with the racket while I'm saying the phrases of things that got me scared I'm so scared of what's going to happen who knows what's happening on you know and, and I would literally beat the heck out of that pillow in a healthy way so that it's out right. of my body and usually underneath the anger underneath the yell or the what i call the cathartic energy release is tears because mm-hmm. underneath anger 
always is usually hurt or sadness. So if you're feeling stuck from, you know, whether it's anger or anxiety, there's usually just, it's usually something we're afraid of, like a a fear or a worry or a sadness. And so once we let go of the first layer of emotion, which is the anger, when I do anger work to change my state, underneath that is always this soft, gentle cry of just like, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, what I'm really feeling isn't anger. It's I'm just sad that that person didn't love me that way, or I'm just sad that that didn't work out. And then when you get to the tears, I usually then journal after that, because now that I've gotten that first layer of anger, the heavy, dark, toxic sludge out, then the tears come, then there's clarity, and then I journal. And so that's my favorite way to change my state. If it's a really heavy state, I use Mm -hmm. the uh, anger work, guttural yells, uh, tears, and then journaling. Got it. I have a feeling that uh, a lot of our listeners will have uh, neighbor complaints. Now. <laughs> yes. yeah, only do it if you're in a place where you can get away with a yell. You can also put a pillow over your mouth and yell into a pillow yeah. if you do live in a... Honestly, I've had to do that in condos I've lived in where I yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. But yeah. But make sure action try. But you do putting the pillow on your your yes, not on someone else's, and also not on your spouse. And also, please don't try this at home if you've got little ones. <laughs> don't beat the heck because it, it can give wrong messages. So let's disclaimer yeah, on all yeah, of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you believe in uh, psychedelics for yourself? I oof, oof, this is funny. We're gonna open up a can of worms here. So I have never yeah. wanted to do psychedelics. I've never wanted to do ayahuasca or mushrooms or psilocybin as they call it. And I've never felt like I needed, I know a lot of people feel like, and not need, but they feel like they want to get an answer or they want clarity on something or they're searching for something. And I've never, especially since discovering breath work, felt that. Like I don't, I'm not Mm -hmm. searching for anything. And I've found all the answers are in me. I already have all the answers. I just need to get clear sometimes to, to hear them, but I don't, I'm not searching for anything. So I've never wanted to do it. And also I never like to be out of control of my body for that Mm. many hours. So I know that on ayahuasca could be nine hours on, on, uh, you know, different trips have different time lengths. Right. And I don't like that feeling. So I've never wanted to do it. That said, I'm part of a new company now, um, that is starting to do some journeys, retreats, where we involve modality, different types of modalities in a ceremony style um, event. And one of them is using psilocybin, um, one of the modalities that we'll be using. We use breath work, hypnotherapy, um, mindset shifting, and psilocybin. So because I wanted to understand the full journey that people go on in this company that I'm a part of now, I decided to try it over New Year's right. and I took psilocybin and honestly, it was, I'm not a fan of it. I was on it. I no? tripped for okay. 48 hours. Now that okay. said, it was so uncomfortable in my body. I didn't fully lean into it. I, I probably resisted a little, even though I set an intention. I knew what I wanted to get out of it once I agreed to yeah. do it. But then I decided that for me, breath work is my psychedelic. Breath work is my mm-hmm. answer when I need, and by the way, I can get off that ride of breath work 
in a second. Yeah. I changed my breath pattern and I'm off it. I was on the psilocybin. Yeah. I kept going, how long is this going to last? How can I get off of it? What do I have? To-? I heard you could drink milk. I'm drinking milk. I heard you could, I, I'm just reading all the things, Googling, like, how do I get this to end? And it lasted literally yeah. for me 48 hours. 48 Longest, hours. Tri- and nobody really has that long of a trip on, on psilocybin, typically. Right. But it was a, how much did you take? How, what I don't was even dosage? know the dosages. I don't, we we did it with a with a ceremony shaman, and it was in a ceremony type presentation. But for me, okay. after I was done, I was like, I didn't need to do that. I'm glad I did it to experience it, right. but I didn't need it for me. And I made the choice, really mm-hmm. clear choice, that I probably won't ever experiment with it again. Um, <coughs> it's just not for me. And that said, though, I did get some clarity on some other things. I did get some downloads that were really cool and it was great to experience. But I would have rather just had a really cool breathwork experience. Give me the same download. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I've heard of one company that's into this. I think they do uh, mushrooms as well as uh, breathwork and other modalities. And I think they're based out of Jamaica Mm -hmm. or maybe Bahamas. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, I did it you know, once mm-hmm. a couple of years back. And for me, what I discovered was it's so important uh, to have the right set and setting. Uh, in other words, to have the right frame of mind for me, as well as have the right person holding space for me. Yes. Somebody that I trust has my right intentions and knows how to hold space yeah. as opposed to a bunch of friends who are just you know, here to have yeah. fun. That's why I said we do, it in, yeah. a, we do it in a ceremony mm-hmm. where it's, you know, yeah. there's certain, like, I guess it's okay to do it if you do it with the right ceremony, with the right intention, yeah. with someone who is yeah. leading it as a ceremony. And that's the way we do it and did it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it makes yeah, all the yeah. difference. She was amazing. The woman who led it. Uh, I just, right. it just isn't for me, but that, but I still yeah. see, I see the benefits of it because many of the people we did it in our journey with um, had amazing shifts and amazing right. life changes. So I believe in it mm. for those who it's for, right? But yeah. for me, it's just not for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, uh, totally. What, what fascinates me about it, and I'm a student of that as well, uh, is the ancient civilizations that all seem to have used some form of psychedelic, yeah. whether it's mushrooms or certain types of mushrooms right. or ayahuasca or soma as mm-hmm. well. Um, I'm right now reading the Eleusinian Mysteries oh, yeah. uh, of Greece. Have you no, heard of that? Uh-uh. Well, the Eleusinian Mysteries were this secret uh, ritual that was accessible to everybody, mm-hmm. except that if you go through it, you have to keep it secret. You can't you can't <laughs> share it with the rest of uh, rest of Greece. Mm-hmm. And they would go through these journeys of uh, immersing themselves in the ocean and some meditation and sitting in a temple and as well as some form of uh, maybe LSD or mushroom. Mm -hmm. But all of them came out having a felt experience of death Mm -hmm. and realizing that life is transcendent. It's beyond that. It's not just, we don't stop there. And I feel that that played a role in how advanced the civilization was Mm -hmm. because of these experiences that people had. And what it opened up for mm-hmm. them. So that sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, makes me curious and fascinated. Mm-hmm. But breathwork is amazing yeah. because you can just do a breathwork session for one hour, mm-hmm. get up and then go about your day, yeah. right? You don't have to yeah. be there for hours and hours mm-hmm. together. So, but to your point, yeah. though, I do for that reason, like if it helps people to get out of, <clears throat> excuse me, limiting beliefs, if it helps people 
to let go and understand that this particular life is a journey of, you know, that we're, it's not ending at the end. And so it helps people maybe yeah. not have fear of death. I mean, there's a lot of really beautiful reasons why I could see that it would be for someone. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I, like I said, I am a fan yeah. of it just like yeah. I said, but it's just not a choice I need to do, but I, I, I do yeah. see the benefits for sure. What is your understanding of the true nature of reality? I know before this uh, interview, I said that towards the end, we go into uh, some of the more spiritual slash esoteric slash, uh, you know, parallel dimensions side of things. Mm -hmm. And our listeners find that the most uh, interesting <laughs> part of the interview. But what is your understanding of the true nature of reality? Oh, well, I, I just, I think reality is all of our perception, right? Like my reality is my perceptions, the way I'm viewing what's coming at me, the way I'm thinking about what's coming at me, the way I'm um, either still stuck in my past or still, f you know, fearing the future or thinking ahead. And I think yeah. our, everybody's reality is completely different and completely separate because what I'm perceiving is so different from what you perceive. We could be looking at the exact same picture and what it means yeah. to me, what I see when I look at it, what I feel when I look at it is completely different from your perception. Yeah. And so my reality is always going to be different than yours. And likewise, mm -hmm. so I think our realities are, are made up of all of our life experiences, are made up of all of our beliefs, are made up of all of our um, uh, interpretations, right? And so... Yeah, that's that's how I would identify reality. It's a great question. No one's ever asked me that one. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, like you rightly put, if we all have our subjective realities, yeah. will we ever come to grasp what the true nature of reality is, or is there even a true nature right. of reality? Yeah, that's a good one too. I, I yeah, no, I mean, right, because we're never going to be able to look at it through any other lens. I mean, look, you can see the saying, put yourself in someone else's shoes, right? You yeah, can momentarily yeah. feel what someone might have felt, but you can never fully yeah. um, feel or submerge yourself in someone else's feelings. So to say, yeah. you know, I can put myself in someone else's reality or we can all have the same reality is, could never exist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the more I do breath work, or maybe partake in, uh, you know, uh, plant medicine experiences, I realize how um, complex and nuanced reality is, and time is as well, right? Mm. Our sense of time can either expand mm. or contract depending on how the experience mm. was. Do you believe that there might be parallel dimensions? In other words, depending on what action you take, mm -hmm. there are like two realities created mm -hmm. and you sort of surf down one reality mm. and then similarly there might be a version of you who didn't take those steps mm. or there's a version of you who did not go down mm. into breath work and is still in fitness do you believe that something like this exists i know it's like super high level yeah. but what are your thoughts on you this? know no it's another really beautiful question i i don't go down those rabbit holes of thinking, although maybe yeah. I should. Now you're, you're making, you're posing a question to me that I have never pondered, honestly, for right. myself. Like I don't, I don't ponder that, but now that you've posed it, I'm going to give yeah. that, I'm going to give that more thought, but I, I honestly don't think just right off the cuff, like from where I know I, yeah. I don't spend time thinking on that. So I would imagine that I probably don't 
think that exists. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm sure I probably would have already pondered it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. good question. Action drive. <laughs> <laughs> if you have thought about these things, if you have thought about alternate realities, if you have thought about the true nature of reality, let us know. Let me know. Reach out to me. Send me an email, aj at my7chakras.com, because I'd love to engage with our listeners uh, to see what you think about this. Um, <laughs> so, Rebecca, yeah. thank you so much for sharing all of these things mm-hmm. with us, your story, your journey, and some of the different decisions that you took that led you to where you are today. What does uh, 2023 look like uh, for you? Oh, my goodness. In this year. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so excited for this year. Uh, 2022 was a tough year for me personally. Um, some things in my business didn't go the way I had planned. So I was so happy to say goodbye to it. And I'm so mm-hmm. excited for this new year. I've got, um, you know, a lot of big plans. I always try to keep them sort of under wraps until they come to fruition, but I've got some really fun projects I'm working on and some things that I'm excited about, uh, that I know this year is going to be a, a huge year for me personally and professionally. So I'm, I'm couldn't be more excited for 2023 that's awesome um so as we conclude uh what is one thing that you're grateful for today and how can somebody get to know more about you Mm. i'm grateful for the power of our minds right the ability to change our minds to change our thoughts once we make Mm -hmm. the decision i like i said in the beginning i believe it, it the things we can change our thoughts and our breath but it starts with just a decision, right? That I'm going to do it. And so I'm grateful for that ability that in any moment I can change the way I feel. I can change what I think. I can change who I want to be. And so gratitude for that, right? For the possibilities and opportunities. And if anyone's interested in connecting with me, you can find me on Instagram. I'm under Rebecca Kordecki on Instagram. Uh, you can find, I'm super easy to find. You can Google my name and my website comes up and some articles and videos and things that I've done in the past always pop up. So I'm really easy to find as long as you can spell my name, uh, R-E-B-E-C-C-A and then Kordeki, K-O-R-D-E-C-K-I. Amazing. We'll have all these links up in the show notes. Action Tribe, if you enjoyed this episode and if you'd like to support us, then make sure you hit subscribe, hit follow, and uh, ensure that you are following this podcast. Make sure you write us an iTunes rating and review or a Spotify review, whatever platform you are on, and make sure you tell your friends and family of this episode because I'm sure that many of our listeners and non-listeners currently would love to get to know about breathwork and benefit and partake in this amazing experience that can potentially transform your life and make sure you go to our website as well my7chakras.com we have you know articles from time to time as well as podcasts that we uh, post about that can change your life So, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about the power of breath and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at my7chakras.com. That is my, S-E-V-E-N, chakras.com.
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 